Welcome to the UGA BCM podcast, a ministry of the BCM at the University of Georgia. To find out more about us, follow us on Instagram at UGA BCM. Be sure to hang around to the end of the episode for a special interview with Zach and Tommy. We hope you enjoy today's episode. Hey, what's really awesome about our band is every single one of these guys serve in a local church in some capacity. And so that's part of what makes us distinct and different as a campus ministry. There are a lot of campus ministries across uh, this campus. There's some good campus ministries across this campus. There's some campus ministries across this campus that stand upon the authority of God's word like we just sang about. But I want to tell you that one thing that makes us different is our relationship with the local church. And we unashamedly believe that we function along two rails as a BCM. Number one, we have been placed here to reach this campus with the gospel of Jesus Christ. And number two, we have been placed here to connect students with the local church. And so if you don't hear anything else tonight, I want you to hear from the very beginning. If you're looking for a place, I know a bunch of you, this is your first time in here. We fed you a bunch of pizza. We met you during Welcome Week. And this is my unashamed plug. If you're looking for a place on this campus where you can come in and you can be a part of a group of students whose goal and objective is to reach their friends with the gospel of Jesus Christ, man, this is for you. This is for you. If you're looking for a place where you're just trying to find answers to the questions that you've, you've faced in your life or faced when it comes to God's word or faced in circumstances that are around you, I want you to know that this is the place for you. If you're looking for a place that can help you find a local church that fits where you are in your life in that moment in time, this is the place for you. And one of the amazing things about this place is that while I am the campus minister and we do have staff, I've got campus missionaries that work for us, Everything that we do is ran through our students. Every single thing that we do is ran through our students. And you just saw how good that is, right? You just saw how good that is. And so we want you to be a part of what we're doing. Now, let me share with you what we're going to be doing this semester as we get started. Uh, We are going through the book of Genesis. And uh, I'm scared to death. I'm being honest with you. Because there's a fear in me that I'm going to say something that's heretical even tonight. Because we're jumping into creation. Now, some people, I'll be honest with you, in their faith, they run from Genesis. How many of you have probably had, you don't have to raise your hand, but have probably had someone ask you about, hey, what about the miracles in the Old Testament, right? What about the flood? Do you really believe in that creation story? And the reality is, is the easy thing for us to do in our faith is to just sort of avoid those questions. I mean, there are some prominent preachers out there who have said things even like this. Hey, you can just unhitch the Old Testament from your faith. And the problem with that is this. The problem is, is that Jesus Christ spoke about the Old Testament as if it was true. And so the reality is, is that Jesus Christ speaks about the Old Testament as if it's true. Then guess what? We got to do something with it. We got to look at it. We got to figure out what it says. We got to figure out what it means. And the reality is this, is that Genesis is not a book that's to be unhitched from your faith. Genesis is not a book that's to be ignored because of the difficult questions in it. But Genesis instead is truly the foundation of our faith. Now, somebody's going to say, well, Jesus is the foundation of our faith. Well, guess what? Jesus shows up what we're going to read today. You hear me? Jesus is right here in the beginning of Genesis. And so as we look at this and we look through this semester, man, I've prayed and prayed and prayed that I don't say anything heretical. And I also know that there are some of you that may have been taught things as a child, taught things in your local church, and may have walked in here today with some very dogmatic beliefs about what Genesis means, particularly with the creation story and others. And so what I'm going to ask you to do is this. Number one, give me some grace. Okay? Give me some grace. Nobody go home and tell your mamas and your daddies that, man, that dude at BCM is a heretic. 
All right, because I, I promise you, I believe God's word from cover to cover. I believe that it is upon authority of this word that we know God's plan for salvation in our lives. We know God's plan from the beginning of time to the end of time. But the reality is also is that there's a bunch of things we're going to cover in Genesis where there's a bunch of guys a lot smarter than me that have a whole bunch of theories about how to interpret it. You got it? All right, and so just give me that grace. So why in the world should we study Genesis? Throw those up there. Y'all got those ready? Well, one, because it tells us about God. But two, if we're going to study Genesis, we've got to start in creation. So why are we going to start in creation? Well, number one, it's the foundation of Christian teaching. It really is. You can't get to Jesus if you don't go through the creation story and you don't start in Genesis. Number two, Jesus places significance on it. There is passage after passage after passage in the New Testament where Jesus references the Old Testament, particularly the Torah and particularly Genesis, as historical fact. If Jesus says it's historical fact and you question that, then the problem is, is now you're questioning the reality of your salvation. Does that make sense? Because either Jesus was the perfect son of God who can save you, or he wasn't, and then he can't save you. Okay? So Jesus places significance on it. The Bible places significance on it. There's other Old Testament passages throughout the Old Testament that reference back to the creation story. Throughout the New Testament that references back to the creation story. Hebrews, Paul, so many of his writings, back to the creation story. The other thing is this. It impacts our understanding of other doctrines and beliefs. It really does. There's so many things that Genesis impacts. I mean, check this out with me, if you will, for just a second. Listen to this. If we study Genesis, then what's going to happen is, is how we view creation will affect how we view astronomy, geology, biology, behavioral sciences, freedom versus determinism, and human goodness versus depravity. I just mentioned a bunch of things that many of you are studying here at the University of Georgia, right? And how you view this is going to view how you view those things. It is the foundation of Christian teaching. As I said, oh, we went to the next page. Look at that. There we go. It differentiates Christianity from other worldviews and religion. Right? It, it's not a myth. Okay? Now, I'm going to use that word in a minute, and somebody's going to throw a stone at me, but hold tight, and I'll explain when I use that word in a minute. But it's not a myth in the sense that it's a made-up story. We see in other religions, that their creation myths that are out there, they're written where that different gods create different things and you got gods fighting over things and all kinds of craziness. And so it differentiates that because we are, we are, we are monotheistic, right? Not polytheistic, right? And so we believe in one triune God, God the Father, Son, and God the Holy Spirit. But yet we believe that God the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit created things from nothing, you got it? He spoke, boom, it was. Created things from nothing. And this one is why we love to run away from it and why we can't. Because the creation story is the main intersection of science and faith. There are those out there that say that, listen, science tells us the ultimate how and what, and theology tells us the why. That's garbage. It really is. Because what the Bible does is it sets up for us historical narrative after historical narrative after historical narrative. Where it doesn't just tell us the why, but it tells us the what, it tells us the how, and it tells us the why. And in telling us the what and the how, it intersects with science. You got it? So this is one of those deals where I'm asking you, uh, don't, don't leave your brain and your intelligence at the door that you come in here, okay? Alright? So, then the next thing is this, is that Christians can't agree about the details. We got a bunch of college pastors in the room, right? If you've been in seminary or Bible college, y'all know I'm telling the truth, right? They can't agree about the details. And so with that said, this is why we need to study creation. 
But before we get into creation, and I've, and I've pointed out the fact that creation tells us a lot about God, I need to make sure we set some parameters for what we're going to do. And then we're going to jump into God's Word. And I'm talking fast because this is a lot of information, okay? Number one, I want to say this. All right, this week we're going to look at how creation impacts what we know about God. Next week, we're going to look at how creation impacts what we know about humanity. And then in week three, what we're going to do is we're going to do a Q&A. Now, we're not going to come in here with microphones like a talk show and let y'all like yell and scream stuff at us, okay? But instead, what we're going to do is that week of Labor Day, we're not having gathering because Labor Day is on a Monday. Most of you won't be back on campus till late that night or later that afternoon. So we'll take that Monday off. And then over social media on our Instagram, if you don't follow us, it's at UGABCM. Shameless plug, go follow us. Uh, the folks that do our Instagram, like it's pretty legit. Okay, we had somebody from another state today, right? Natalie's our president. We had somebody from another state today that, that, that literally sent you a message. Would you, you were Avery. They sent you a message, right? And was like, hey, your Instagram game is strong. All right, so go follow us anyways. All right? But with that in mind, um, here's the deal. We're not going to answer all your questions. It's just not going to happen. It's impossible. Uh, you can go take a seminary class on it somewhere, and you still won't get all your questions answered. But we do want to answer as many as we can. And so that week of Labor Day, we're going to put on our story an opportunity, or on our, on our, our social media, on our Instagram, an opportunity for you to ask questions. Y'all know what I'm talking about, where you go in there, and it has a little box, and you put what your question is. Y'all got it, right? And then we're going to pick some of those questions, uh, and we're going to answer them to the best of our ability. And I'm not going to do that by myself. But instead, that night, you're going to get to meet our other campus, our campus missionaries. And they're going to help me answer those questions. They found that out. When did y'all find that out? Like, where are you at? When did y'all find that out, Allie? She found that out yesterday. All right? And so Justice and Heather and Allie and Zach are going to be up here. Zach, you're going to have to remove yourself from the booth that week. Uh, and you're going to have to answer some hard theological questions. We're going to give him the hardest question of all. If he's smart enough to run sound and help with those guys, then he can help with that. The other thing is this, is there's multiple theories and views within Orthodox Christianity. I mean, there are a ton of them. There are a ton of them. Let me give you some examples. Do I have all of those views listed up there? Is that next? No, I don't. So I'm going to have to tell them to you right here. You ready for this? Listen to all these, these views. One, you got to answer the question of young earth versus old earth. Matter of fact, listen, most of us grew up in our lives going, oh, six-day creation, right? God rested on the seventh. Would we all agree with that? Hey, can I throw your mind for a loop right as we get started? Go read chapter 1, and then go read chapter 2, okay? And what you're going to realize is, is some people go, well, that's two different creation accounts. Well, we're going to figure out in a minute why that's not the case. But the bigger problem is this, is that in chapter 1, we see that, that God created man and woman in day 6. And it's pretty clear, if you take a six-day view of the creation of man and woman, that the end of day 6 is when that occurred. Well, chapter 2 is a detailed account of really day 6. That's really what we get in chapter 2. Because that's where we see like the whole thing about, you know, Adam was lonely, all that good stuff, right? We're going to read all some of that in a little bit here. And, and so then, guess what happens? We find that God provides Adam all these, he's looking for him a helper, right? And we see that, guess what Adam gets to do before Eve comes on the scene? He gets to name all the animals. Man. Either Adam named every animal created in about a four-hour span, or we got an issue on a six-day creation. Now, by the way, I'm not arguing for longer or young earth or old earth. That's not what I'm arguing. But what I'm saying is, is if all of a sudden the sixth day was potentially longer than 24 hours, well, what do we do with that? Does that make sense? Right? What about all of this, like, what do you call it, like geological whatever it is where they look at how old the rocks are and all that kind of stuff, right? Somebody says, oh, well, the flood is what caused all that stuff. 
Somebody else says, oh, well, it's not. And so you got to answer the question, young earth, old earth, six day, day age. What's the answer there? And I'm going to throw some things out there at you that all of these have been accepted within Orthodox Christianity. And it's going to blow your mind because you're going to be like, yep, Tommy's not answering any of our questions. He's just giving us more. All right, here we go. Gap theory. Okay? There's nobody in here old enough to probably know what that is. All right? But it was an, it was an old theological concept where if you read Genesis chapter 1, it says, In the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. And then it says this in verse 2. The earth was formless and void, and darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was moving over the surface of the waters. Then God said, let there be light. There are some theologians out there, even to this day, that believe that between verse 1 and verse 2, there was a gap. That there was something created. This is their answer to dinosaurs. Y'all got that? All right? That there was something created, that God created something, and then all of a sudden something happened, and boom, the earth becomes formless and void you know the whole like meteorite thing maybe that's it whatever the case may be and that's how we account for all of these years there's one of them right there's another one called the flood theory if you're a young earth guy and you believe that that the earth isn't that old right then the reality is is that this is about the only place you can land and that is is that we had a universal flood that covered the the earth and that because of all the waves and because of all the pressure of the water on the earth that it caused things to age more rapidly. There's one other one, if you're young earth, that could work, and that's the ideal time theory. Let me ask you a question. What comes first, the chicken or the egg? The chicken. All right, that's the ideal time theory. All right? Yeah. How old was Adam when he was created? That's the ideal time theory. So think about this. I just had a 40 pop up, pop up on the screen in front of me. I'm not taking 40 minutes, guys. Chill out. It's okay. All right, they literally put it up there. Maybe I will. I don't know. But listen, I mean, I'm talking about ideal time theory. That's got to have your attention somewhat. All right, God, got, or God created Adam, it, it very clearly seems, as an adult, right? Okay? Well, what if God created trees as adult trees? Well, if God creates a tree as an adult tree and not as a seed or a seedling... Well, then you start looking at stuff geologically and you go, oh, wow, yeah, well, I guess if he created things further along, well, then maybe they started at, I don't know, looking like they were billions of years old or something. I don't know, right? That could be something used. Now I can see, oh, this is great. Now I can see my stuff on the screen up there. Age day theory, 24-hour days or an age. There are theologians that argue nonstop about the fact of whether or not the day, because in Scripture, the day in some places means, guess what? A 24-hour period. In other places in Scripture, guess what a day means? An age. An age. A period of time with a beginning and an end. Right? And so, with that in mind, what, which one is it? Well, the problem is, is that Scripture doesn't fully, expressly say this is exactly what these are. Literary framework. That's my favorite. I got a friend of mine. Not my favorite that I, like, take. It's, a, it's one of my favorites because i got a friend of mine that clearly is a literary framework guy and he loves to tell everybody he is, but he won't tell them he's literary framework. Um, he'll just explain what it is. Basically, Genesis, uh, day one, day two, day three happen as a set. Day four, day five, day six happen as a set. And they say that the focus of this is not a chronological order. It's a logical order of how creation went. And so, in other words, they say day one, day two, day three is where God, this is oversimplification because it's really quite complex, but it's where God creates the settings for what he then puts in them in day four, five, six. People that have more of a poetic view of revelation, not revelation, of Genesis, 
a lot of times we'll take that view of it. And then they say on day seven, God rested. And when God rested, what that really is, is it's symbolic of the fact that God is sitting on his throne. And guess what? When Revelation rolls around, he's going to get up off his throne and he's going to kick tail and take names. <laughs> that's really oversimplification, but, but that's the idea. All right? And then, hey, how about this one? This one blows my mind. I'm like, how do you think this? I don't know. Revelatory day theory. If that's what you think and you know what it's called. By the way, if you know what you believe and you know exactly what it's called, dude, you really should go to seminary. Like, seriously. I'm just being honest with you. All right? Uh, that one, what's that? Well, it, was, it basically says, look, day one through day six and day seven, it was the days that God revealed his creation story to, to, to Moses or, to, as some would say, the author, depending on what someone argues about that. All right, so, so that's one of the parameters. There's a bunch of stuff out there, and guess what? All of those, in some way, shape, form, or fashion, have been accepted in Orthodox Christianity. So if you walk out of here in our study of creation over the next three weeks and you go, I am really confused, I don't want you to panic. Because what we're going to do in a minute is we're going to get down to the fact that, guess what? At the end of the day, it's not about which one of these theories is correct. But instead, it's going to be about what does creation tell us about God and what does creation tell us about humanity and how does that work together and how does that play out in salvation history. All right, so with that in mind, the other reason that we need, or another thing we need to know is, is creation and science are not competing. I said that earlier. They are not competing, but instead, this is where they intersect. We cannot allow creation and science just to run parallel to each other uh, and, and just pretend like that, that they're never going to cross, because if we do, then we got a problem. Then we got a problem. Another thing that you need to know about this is that ultimately, we need to look at the, uh, the, the, the book of Genesis and figure out. Uh, what is it? Okay, what is it? Particularly Genesis chapter one through verse or chapter one through chapter eleven, because people argued about it all the time. They go, "You got to know what genre it is," and they'll argue over: is it historical narrative? Is it historical drama? Is it poetry? Uh, is it historical or theological myth? Remember, I said I was going to use the word myth in just a second. Now, the guys that say it's historical or theological myth, make sure you understand. There, most of them are not saying that it's not true. What most of them are saying is: is you got to know the context in which it was written. That's the ancient Near East. All right, that's a parameter you need to understand. Have you ever asked yourself the question, why does the story of creation sound a little bit like these other stories that are myths? Have you ever asked yourself the question? Right? Like you ever asked yourself the question when you were in high school, you had a teacher that said, hey, the flood, the story of Gilgamesh. Right? You ever heard that? Right? that? Those kind of things? Well, the reality is this, is that if you understand the context in which uh, Genesis is written, and you don't get bogged down in the genre. I've, I believe wholeheartedly that this is a historical narrative in the sense that it is true. But you also have to understand the context in which it was written. It was written so that the people of that day would understand what they were reading. And guess what they read and heard all the time? Creation myths. Does that make sense? So if it's ever confused you, especially chapter 1, because chapter 1 sounds a lot like that. It sounds a lot like that. Chapter 2 gets a little different. We'll talk about that in a minute. The other thing is this, is that you got to make sure you understand who wrote this. And i got to tell you, there's people that argue about whether Moses wrote it or not, but the truth of the matter is, is the Old Testament and the New Testament attributes the Torah to Moses. That's the law, right? Jesus attributes it to Moses. And Genesis, amongst the Jewish people, was considered part of the law and part of the Torah. And so we do need to be careful if we start going down a path that gets us out of the fact that Moses wrote Genesis. You got it? But we need to be careful about that. Now, we can talk about oral history being passed down from that point and all that stuff before it was written in paper, uh, 
paper and pen, obviously, but before it was carved on something or whatever. But the reality is, is that if you negate who's the author of certain books in Scripture, have you ever wondered about, like, well, it doesn't say that guy wrote that, and sometimes you're like, how do I know that guy wrote that? You ever wondered that when it comes to the Bible? Okay, usually what the case is, is you can read other texts within Scripture that reference back who wrote it, right? Especially if it's Jesus that's referencing that. All right, and so, so that's the parameters. Did I miss any? Nope, there we go. All right, that's the parameters for our study. So what are we going to look at tonight? Now that that's the longest introduction I've ever had in my life. And I got 10 points. Y'all got quiet, didn't you? They're not that long, though, I promise. All right, we're going to actually read the Bible now, other than just the first two verses of Genesis. So with those parameters and those understandings of everything we're going to do over the next three weeks in particular and then this semester, what I want us to focus on tonight is this. Not arguments over all those things I just mentioned to you. I could have spent like a, a night on each one of those explaining it to you and then we could have done the college thing and you figure out what you believe. And I, I get that. But what I want you to understand is this. Is that what we know is true about the creation story is, is number one, I, I truly believe this. Number one, God created. Right? Number two, what he created. Number three, how he created And number four, why he created. And so to get to that understanding, I believe the place we start is looking at, in his scripture, what the creation story tells us about God. And we're going to do that tonight. Now there's going to be places where we jump here and there, because next week we're going to look at what the creation story tells us about Jesus. And this has been hard for me. And I'll tell you why it's been hard for me. Because if you've ever been here on a a last semester or last year, Tuesday night, you know that I usually preach verse by verse, right? And so I'm going to do a little bit of that as we go, but then we're going to jump ahead a couple of chapters, a chapter and then two chapters later, because we do need to see. We're going to spend most of our time in chapter one tonight, and then next week most of our time in chapter two. But we do need to see here in chapter two, and even in chapter three for just a moment, what this story tells us about God. So I want to start with this. This story tells us, first of all, that God is eternal. That God is eternal. The Bible tells us in verse 1 of Genesis, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. I want to say that again. In the beginning, God. We know that the passage in John chapter 1 verse 1 tells us, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. So we see in John 1 1 that in the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And we see here that in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The reality is this is that God created from nothingness, which means he existed before nothingness, which means he is eternal. He has no beginning and he has no end. And that's why scripture tells us in the beginning was God. By the way, that's important to know that God is eternal. You ever heard somebody say that God is omnipresent? All right, there's three O words that get talked about with God. He's omniscient, right? He's omnipotent and omnipresent. All right, omnipresent uh, a lot of times when you're a kid, you hear that that means God is like everywhere, right? And there's this confusion because I had a professor in seminary one time tell me, he was like, well, does that mean God's in that chair? No, God's not in the chair, right? But what it means is, is God is everywhere because God is eternal, because God has no beginning and God has no end. Matter of fact, let me blow your mind for just a second. Is time created? Is time a creation? Is it? Yeah. Yeah. Time is created. 
Do you know why we have so many of the problems that we have as Christians understanding Scripture and understanding God and understanding some very, very, very important doctrines that we see as Christians? It's because we struggle with this idea of time being created. What that means is this. We know time is created because God is eternal. God was in the beginning, right? God was before time. God was before he created days and nights, right? And so the reality is this, and this is really important to understand. God is outside of time. While everything we see in our life has a past, a present, and a future, everything in the past, present, and the future to God just simply is. Now wrap your mind around that one. You know why? Because God is eternal. God is eternal. You ever had somebody say, man, when I get to heaven, I'll be waiting on you. Like somebody's about to pass away, somebody you love or whatever. Right? You ever worried about like heaven? Like, man, when I get to heaven, man, how long do I have to wait on my loved ones? I have no idea. But I'll tell you this. I got this sneaky little suspicion in my mind. It ain't going to be like it is here on earth. Right? Number one, there's no sorrow. There's no pain. Right? There's no suffering. There's none of those things. There's no sadness. So it's not like when your loved one passes away. Right? My, my uncle who passed away not long ago. My, my wife's mother who passed away not long after my second son or my first son was born. It's not like she's sitting up there going, man, I wish Tommy and I wish Mallory and I wish those grandkids would hurry up. You know what I mean? That's not what it's like. Part of the reason it's not like that is because God is eternal. And time is created. And we know time from the sense of what we see here on this earth. So God is eternal. He's there in the beginning. Hey, hold tight, Caleb, because i got a lot more to go. All right? Number two, God is creator. God is creator. Verse one says, God created the heavens and the earth. I said earlier that one of the differences between us and other religions is that, that we are not polytheistic, but that we are monotheistic. There's this term called ex nihilo. It means from nothing. God created everything from nothing. Matter of fact, it's interesting because in Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Ephesians, Hebrew, 1 Peter, 1 John, Romans, Revelation, 2 Thessalonians, we find that ultimately God is creator. That he created. What does that mean? What that means is, is that if you find yourself in a situation where you begin to question the existence of God, or you begin to look at what's called atheistic evolution, or whatever the case may be, that's a problem. From a biblical worldview, that's a problem. And here's why that's a problem. Because if everything I just mentioned in the New Testament points back to the fact that God created and references the fact that God created from nothing, then guess what? If we can't trust and believe that, we can't have salvation. You see what I'm saying? It's not possible. Why? Because those books I just mentioned from the New Testament that very clearly reference that God created out of nothing. I mean, we, we just sang about it, didn't we, Ben? Right? One word. God created. Out of nothing. That's so important to understand. How do we, we know that that's the case? What, what impact does that have on our thought about who God is? Well, it tells us that he's omnipotent, that he is all-powerful. He is the most powerful there ever was, there ever will be. And he's omniscient. He knows all, right? If he created out of nothing, he knows all. Listen, I get it. There have been people that have had very... Uh, very serious questions about some of the medical advances that we've had throughout history and some of the other technological advances we've had throughout history. And they've asked questions like, is man becoming like God? Right? Because God created, and listen, we'll talk about a little bit later that that's one of the attributes of the fact on, on next week that God gave us the ability to create. But the reality of it is, is listen, 
That's not really something we got to worry about. You know why? Because no matter how smart God get, I mean, man gets, no matter how smart man gets, no matter how much man invents and man creates, no matter how advanced science may get, whether we can make an animal or a, I don't know, or a human or anything else, like in a lab somewhere, listen to me. We will never be God. We will never do what God did. And here's why. Because when I create something, guess what? It's from matter that already exists. And God created from nothing. So God is eternal. God is creator. Third, God is triune. God is triune. Boy, I love this. I love this. The Bible says in verse 2 of chapter 1. See, I told you we're going verse by verse. Problem is we got... 31 more verses to get through chapter 1, right? The earth was formless and void, and darkness was over the surface of the deep. And check this out. And the Spirit of God was moving over the surface of the waters. Now, I understand. Some people argue that and be like, that's not talking about the Holy Spirit. Whatever. We can have that argument another day. All right? And then, matter of fact, my other favorite one when people argue with you is, it says in verse 26, Then God said, let us make man in our image according to our likeness, and let them rule over the fish and over the sea, etc., us and I, I get that. Some people say, oh, that's like kingdom talk. That's oversimplification as well. But like when you talked about royalty, somebody was like, let us, right? When I coached high school baseball, like I used to, you know, need our coaches to get the tarp out or off the field after it rained before we'd play and our team to get the tarp off after the field before we play. Or I'd need my coaches to go and do what we needed to do with line in the field and all this kind of stuff while I was working on lineup cards and all that. And I'd say, hey, guys, here's what we need to do, right? Y'all know what I mean? You ever been there? Makes everybody feel good, right? Here's what we need to do, and then I'd write my lineup card while they did all the work, right? Um, that's terrible, isn't it? Great leader I am. All right, but here's the point. The point is, is that some people say that's the language that's being used there. But what I will tell you is this. Remember I said John 1, 1 a minute ago? In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And it tells us the Word came and dwelt among us. Guess who the Word is? Jesus. Ain't that awesome? So if God the Father and God the Son are there, by the way, the Bible tells us that all things are created through Christ. Isn't that awesome? So if God the Father and God the Son are there, you can argue over semantics about the Spirit, whether it's the Holy Spirit or not. But what I got to say is, whether you think it's the Holy Spirit or not, guess what? He was. He was there. Isn't that awesome? So we see God is triune. We see that in creation. Then we see fourth, God is orderly. God is orderly. Check out this. Here we see, verse 3. Then God said, let there be light, and there was light. God saw that the light was good. God separated the light from darkness. God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. And there was evening, and there was morning, one day. Boom. Day one, God has a plan. He is orderly. He creates light. Day two, verse 6 through verse 8. Then God said, let there be an expanse in the midst of the waters, and let it separate the waters from the waters. And God made the expanse and separated the waters which from below the expanse from the waters which were above the expanse, and boom, it was so. Day two, he creates the expanse. You're like, what in the world is the expanse? Think about this. Y'all know the water cycle? Y'all learned that when y'all were like middle school? Y'all know what I'm talking about? Right? You got water that's liquid, and you got water that's gas, right? There's your expanse. That's literally what it's talking about. Separated the waters from the water. Isn't that crazy? Right? Oh, by the way, hey, even science says that like the whole earth at one point was covered with what? Boom. See, we ain't got to run away from it. It's there. Maybe it was a day. Maybe it was millions of years. I don't know. I'm not arguing with anybody over that. I'll ask God when I get to heaven. Then I won't care. Right? 
Verse 9. Let the waters below the heavens be gathered into one place and let the dry land appear. And it was so. God called the dry land earth. And the gathering of the waters he called seas. And God saw that it was good. Then God said, let the earth sprout vegetation, plants yielding seed and fruit trees on the earth bearing fruit from their kind with seed in them. And it was so. And the earth brought forth vegetation, plants yielding seed after their kind and trees bearing fruit with seed in them after their kind. And God saw that it was good. There was evening and there was morning a third day. Boom, day three. Here we go. Right? What do plants need to survive? They need light. Guess what God's created? Light. What do plants need to survive? They need water. Guess what God's created? Water. And then guess what God does? Boom, he creates vegetation. How long did it take? I don't know. That's not the point. The point is God was orderly. He provided, oh, that was one of my other points later. He gave and provided, got ahead of myself, what they needed to survive. In the order they needed them to survive in. See it? Isn't that awesome? Day four. Day four. Here we go. Then God said, let there be lights in the expanse of the heavens to separate the day from night. Oh, by the way, with that water thing, this is really cool, right? People say that the earth was covered with water, and they claim, science, like scientists, whoever they, y'all love to, I love to say they and not have to say who it is, right? All right, they say, right, people a lot smarter than me, hey, the earth was covered with water, and then like the, 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 the earth cooled, and is the earth cooled, or maybe it was heated, I can't remember. One of those things, I remember learning this in science back in high school, right? If you're a science major, like whatever, I don't know, what do you even call that? Whatever it is, see, you're smarter than me, and you could explain this better than I can, right? And then all of a sudden, the, the, the water apparently starts going to like the lower places, right? Y'all know what I'm talking about, right? And now we get oceans and rivers and all that stuff, and we have land appear. Boom, here it is. <laughs> God's orderly. Isn't that neat? Young earth, old earth, doesn't matter. God's orderly. Right? And then what happens? What happens is, is, is then he, he, we, we see him in, where am I at? Day four. See, I got to hurry. And let them be for lights in the expanse of the heavens to give light on the earth. And it was so. That's verse 15. Verse 16, God made two great lights. The greater light to govern the day, boom, that's the sun. And the lesser light to govern the night, boom, that's the moon. He made the stars also. So you could sit out there by the lake and stare at them and go, man, that's so pretty. And draw pictures in them, right? And, and then he says this, God placed them in the expanse of the heavens to give light on the earth, to govern the day and the night, and to separate light from darkness. And God saw that it was good, and there was evening, and there was morning a fourth day. Now, some people argue over was God the light in day one, or did God all go ahead and create the sun and all that stuff? It doesn't matter. Like, it really doesn't. Right? Some people say that what happens in day four is that he put them in their appropriate places. Some, some folks who read this from, from, uh, and understand kind of how science has talked about things say, well, what you have is you have these clouds covering the earth and all that kind of stuff, the entirety of the earth, and then eventually those clouds begin to separate. And so guess what? Now the earth can see, guess what? Sun, moon, and stars. Again, God is what? He's orderly. Do we see that? Ver, uh, no, day five. Day five, stay with me. Then it says in day five, let the waters teem with swarms of living creatures and let birds fly above the earth in the open expanse of the heavens. God created the great sea monsters and every living creature that moves with waters swarmed after their kind and every winged bird after its kind. And God saw that it was good. And God blessed them saying, be fruitful and multiply and fill the waters in the sea and let the birds multiply on the earth. There was evening and there was morning, a fifth day. So now we got oceans right? We got vegetation, right? And God says what? Boom. We got animals in the ocean. We got animals flying around. Well, lo and behold, I think I remember somewhere that science said that animals and living creatures first showed up in the what? In the water. Pretty sure that's what I read back in the day. God's orderly. 
We don't got to run from it. It's there. You see what I'm saying? You want to argue about how many years? That's fine. But it's there. Moving on day six. Then it gets real good. Then God said, let the earth bring forth living creatures after their kind. Cattle and creeping things and beasts of the earth after their kind. And it was so. God made the beasts of the earth after their kind and the cattle after their kind and everything that creeps on the ground after his kind. And God saw that it was good. And then God said, let us make man in our image according to our likeness. Let them rule over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the sky and over the cattle and all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and rule over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the sky and over every living thing that moves on the earth. Then God said, behold... I have given you every plant yielding seed that is on the surface of all the earth and every tree which has fruit yielding seed. It shall be food for you. And to every beast of the earth and every bird of the sky and everything that moves on the earth which has life, I have given every green plant for food and it was so. God saw all that he had made and behold, it was very good and there was evening and there was morning the sixth day. There is a progress to creation and it is is a very orderly progress. It makes sense because what we see in this is that God creates what animals need, what living creatures need, and then he creates them, right? We see that God had a process to this, and ultimately it ended with us being created in his image. And I don't want to get too much into that, because that is next week. But the reality of it is, is by the time he got to humans, guess what? He had created everything that the human needed. That's unbelievable. That is unbelievable. Even when, it, when you look at what this says here about everything in their kind. You talk about organization. Right? I took a zoology class and I took a, uh, what's the study of birds? Y'all know the study of birds? What's that thing called? Ornithology class. Yeah, I took a zoology and ornithology class in high school. All right? And the reason I took it was because in the ornithology class, they were paired together. We would go down to these springs down in Florida on a day trip. And I just wanted to go down there. Right? And this, this teacher I had had every dead animal you could imagine in his classroom. It was awesome. And then I got in the class and I realized I had to like memorize what kingdom, phylum, species, what are all those things? Genus. I almost forgot genus. Somebody's like, I'm going to throw a rock at you. I'm glad we don't have any in here. Right? There's sandbags back there in the back because we got to leak through that door sometimes. But, anyways, this is an old building. Did y'all know that? Yeah. Hey, I had to memorize all that stuff. Good gracious. And the scripture says that God created everything in their kind. Isn't that nuts? By the way, there are some who have tried to take scripture. I'm going to tell you where I stand on one thing, okay? All right, I've told you where I stand on a lot, but on this one I'm definitely going to. Okay, there are some who have taken scripture and they've tried to say that they're okay with this idea called theistic evolution. All right? And they'll say that, that, you know, it's almost like the watchmaker kind of theory, if you think about it. It's that God put in the process of evolution when he created, and then things begin to create, they begin to evolve. And, and the problem is, is many that follow theistic evolution will say that they, there was cross-species evolution as well. Now, I'm not an idiot. I believe wholeheartedly that we have evolution among species, okay? All right, you, you can't look outside and not say that we have evolved as humans. You can't go visit some really old house somewhere and not realize that they were really short. Y'all know what I'm talking about, right? You can't look at skin tones in different places where people live. Like, you can't do that and not go, you know what, yes. 
All right, but here's the problem. The problem is, is that this right here says that God created every species. I can go back and read every single one of those verses and every single creature that's created, and it says their own kind, to their kind. Does that make sense? Well, that means it makes a lot of sense to me why when we look at science that we see there are gaps, right? Somebody might say we just ain't found them yet. Somebody might give others an excuse for them. But you know what? Science always catches up to Scripture. It does. Scripture said the world was round before anybody else thought it was. Y'all know that, right? Everybody else thought it was flat. Even the church was dumb and got it wrong and thought it was flat. So you just need to think about that is all I'm saying. Clearly not atheistic evolution. But when we come to theistic evolution, you need to ask yourself the question. We talking cross species or we talking within species? How many levels we going up, right? Okay? Some people say, yeah, maybe it was genus, right? Like, maybe, maybe God created a cat, and then now all of a sudden you got tigers, lions, bears. Not bears. They're, they're not family. You know, like, <laughs> that'd be funny, wouldn't it? Whew. Okay, right? Maybe, maybe that's what I, I don't know. But I know God created everything according to their own kind. It's right there. I got to hurry. I got four minutes. <laughs> Whew. God is orderly. And by the way, chapter 2, we don't have time to get in this tonight. But if you start going and reading chapter 2, and we will next week, boy, you talk about a detailed account and a detailed view of God's order. It is unbelievable. And we will get into it next week, and we will talk about what that means for us. Not only is God eternal, creator, triune, and orderly, these next ones go pretty fast. God is ruler. God is ruler. Some people argue that there's two separate accounts in chapter 1 and chapter 2. Let me tell you one of the reasons they argue that. That's because Elohim is used in chapter 1 and Yahweh is used in chapter 2. But there's a reason why Elohim and Yahweh are used in chapter 1 and chapter 2. And again, part of it is the context of what, be, is, what is being written here. And you have to always read scripture within context. Chapter 1 is kind of a backhanded slap at all the other religions and myths of the day. And Elohim tells us that God is ruler. Does that make sense? That God is all-powerful and that he is ruler. Matter of fact, I mentioned earlier, there's even a view of the Sabbath there in chapter 2, verse 1 through verse 4, where it says, Thus the heavens and earth were completed in all their hosts. By the seventh day God completed his work which he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all his work which he had done. Then God blessed the seventh day and sanctified it, because in it he rested from all his work which God had created and made. Now we're going to talk about the impact upon that on humans next week, but I will say this, there is even a view out there, as I mentioned earlier, that says, man, that's when God sat on his throne. Not that he wasn't always on his throne, but like metaphorically, right? So God is ruler. Not only is God ruler, but I want you to see this. God is good. God is good. Verse 4, verse 12, verse 18, verse 21, verse 25, and verse 31 of Genesis chapter 1. Do you know what God says? He says, God, it says, God saw that it was good. God is good because creation is good. Now hold tight, Tommy. We're falling. We're broken. We're messed up. Yes, we are. But we ain't got to the fall yet. Hold tight. Listen, even within Christianity, there's this, been this thing called dualism that's been taught. And it is dangerous because what it's done is it separated the spiritual from the physical. And it said, well, those things that are spiritual are good, but those things that are physical, they're not. You ever been at a funeral and somebody say, man, they finally escaped the old troubles and the old, the old physical issues of this world? 
And we don't mean anything by it. We, we, what we mean by it is, is man, we're, that person's going to heaven, right? right? But, but even that, if we're not careful, if you don't explain it real clear, can begin to allow people to have this idea of dualism, which is, man, hey, I'm stuck in this old messed up sinful world, and everything's bad that's physical, but everything is, is good that's spiritual. And so one of the things that happens to that is that some people will then just try to basically like, you know, basically live in a closet and sing kumbaya their entire life. Y'all know what I'm talking about? Like they'll try to isolate themselves from everything physical of the world. And that doesn't make any sense, right? That's, that's the whole monk thing, right? Came out of that thought process, really. But what we find here is that when God created, he created that which was good. And the reason he created that which was good is because he is good, right? He is good. His nature is good. His nature is not evil. God doesn't cause bad stuff to happen to us. And the cool thing is this, is that even when you ask the question, well, what about the fall? Well, listen, we, we do not have a God who's good and a God who's evil, and one is God and one is the devil. And they're fighting all the time. That's not what we have. We have God who is good, right? And we have the devil who can't create, create anything. But what he can do is corrupt. What he can do is corrupt. That's big. We'll talk about that in a couple weeks, okay? But the point is this, is that God is good. His creation was originally good. We cannot separate between the physical and the spiritual because he says it was good. God is personal. God is personal. Chapter 2, man, it's all there. It's all there. Even after they had sinned, they hear God walking in the garden, right? Okay? God is personal. God created Adam. God created Eve. God saw the need that Adam had. God saw the need that he had for a helper. And guess what? He gave him that. And then God is provider. I just told you that every single thing we just read about, God provided exactly what those creations would need. He blessed humans in verse 28. Chapter 2 makes it clear that God provided everything Adam needed, including Eve in chapter 2, verse 18, through verse 25. But I want you to realize two things tonight. What we find in the creation story, particularly when we turn to chapter 3, is that God is also just. Because remember I said, hey, creation is good. And you're like, whoa, hold on, Tommy. We sin, we're falling, we're broken, we're messed up people. That depravity thing, right? Well, guess what? You're right. And guess what happens after Adam and Eve sin in chapter 3? God deals with them. Doesn't he? He deals with them. Out of the garden you go. You're going to die now. Right? He deals with them. Why? Because even though God is provider, even though what God created was good, even though God is ruler, even though God is eternal and creator and triune and orderly, and, and, and the reality is, is that, man, he did some unbelievable things here, obviously, because he is God. Guess what? He's also just. He's just. And what that means is this, is that we face punishment for our sin. We face punishment ultimately for the things that we do that are wrong the same way that Adam and Eve did in chapter 3. But I want you to hear me tonight more than anything else. What we see in this creation story, even including the fall, which we'll get a little bit more into later, but I wanted to hit on it tonight is this, is that God desires restoration and salvation for all of his creation. 
God desires restoration and salvation for all of his creation. Chapter 3 messed it up. You can go read that between now and the next couple of weeks. Chapter 3 messes it up. But you know what's really cool in chapter 3? I want to read this to you. God is dealing with the fact that he is just. And he's talking to, to everybody involved in this. And he's talking to the serpent, who we know to, to be Satan. And he says this in verse 15. And I will put enmity between you and the woman, between your seed and her seed. He shall bruise you on the head, and you shall bruise him on the heel. You know what verse 15 of chapter 3 is? Do you know it's the first time in Scripture that we see the gospel? You know that chapter 3, verse 15, actually is pointing to Jesus. There will be enmity between your seed and her seed. Now, you may be like, no, that's talking about, man, I'm walking out and I better wear my boots when I'm outside because otherwise those snakes are going to get me in the heel and I'll just stomp them on the head. Well, I mean, that may be true too. Okay? This is, this is a prophecy of what's going to take place with Jesus. And what that does is it gives me hope. Right? It gives me hope. Because God is good and he created that which is good and he did it with order and he did it as ruler and he did it as king and he did it from a place of nothingness. And we blew it and messed it up. But guess what? God even from the beginning has had a plan. So I can trust him. I can trust him. So I want to ask you a simple question tonight. Do you realize that when you turn to Revelation, you began to realize that ultimately this whole story of salvation started in the garden? And that God created the heavens and the earth and it was good. And we blew it. And do you know what takes place in Revelation? Do you realize, like we talk about the spiritual and the physical, here's how we know it ain't dualism because guess what God does? He doesn't just restore us phys- or spiritually. Ooh, that's humming at me. But you know what he does? The Bible tells us in Revelation that he then goes and restores all of his creation. A new heaven and a new earth. Isn't that unbelievable? See, that's the bookend of the story. And I can trust that because God is still king. He's still on his throne. He's still ruler. He's still good. He's still personal. He's still creator. He's still provider. He's still just. Man, he desires restoration for his creation. So tonight, how does that impact me? How does it impact you? I'll tell you how it does. Very simple. God deserves our praise. He deserves all the glory and all the praise. Because he is the king of kings and he is the Lord of lords. And the reality is, is what God wants in your life and my life today is to be Lord of your life. That's what he wants. That's what he desires. And so maybe you walked in here today and you're like, man, I heard they were talking about Genesis, so I just want to see if this guy is a heretic. Or maybe you walked in here today and you're like, man, I heard their music was good. Or maybe it's just like the free pizza. Or maybe it was that we spent a bunch of money on you guys during Welcome Week to do a bunch of fun stuff. I don't know. But what I'll tell you is this, is that what we are about here at the BCM is reaching students with the gospel of Jesus Christ. And the gospel of Jesus Christ started at creation. 
See, God desired to have a relationship with me and you. He did. He always has. He's a personal God. And see, God is worthy to be praised and he's deserving of our glory because he's good and he's all those things we talked about. But we messed up. And sin entered into this world. And because sin entered into this world, we are broken. And without Jesus Christ, the same way that Adam and Eve were cast out of the garden, without Jesus Christ, listen, one day we too will be cast out of his presence. But we read right there in chapter 3, verse 15, that guess what? Jesus is going to come. This is not a story of man, God had a plan, and man messed it up, and then he had to fix it. That's not the story. Now, is there human responsibility in this? Yeah, we'll talk about that next week. But man, there's the sovereignty of God all in this as well. God provided. <laughs> Jesus was there before we ever knew we needed him. So, maybe tonight you've been like, man, okay, God created. I get it. Maybe tonight you've been like, hey, I want to know that God. Well, you can know him through Jesus Christ. If that's something that you'd like to know more about, then what I want you to do is right there on your pieces of paper, you can kind of jot down on the back that, hey, I want to know more about Christ. Maybe tonight you can just call out to him and, and say, God, I want to begin to follow you tonight. Like, maybe you can just say, God, hey, I know I need you, man. I'm a sinner. Adam and Eve were sinners. I'm a sinner, man. We're messed up folks. And man, I need you. And, and, and I've heard from Tommy tonight that you died for me and rose three days later. And, and I just want to call on you. The Bible says, whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. I can tell you that God's desire in your heart and your life is no matter how messed up you may be, no matter where you may be at in your walk with Him, He desires to restore you and He desires for you to have salvation and know Him as Lord and Savior. He's Lord anyway. Why not make Him yours? So here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to pray. And, and if you need to come and, and chat with one of us, then listen, I want you to do that. If you need to call out right there and, and, and say, Lord, I need you to be my Lord and Savior. I need you to be a part of my life. I want to begin to follow you today. Hey, do that. And then jot it down and let us know as you leave it in your seat. Or maybe you just need to deal with some other issue you got going on in your life. Me and the campus missionaries will be here. Uh, actually, I'll be here at the front. I'm going to ask them actually to hang out by the stairs. Y'all by the stairs. And so if you need to head that way to chat with one of them, that you can. But let me pray for us. Ben's going to come and sing one more. And boy. The rest of this is not going to be this long, but I had to set the parameters. They tell you the number one thing to do on a first night is not go over because people won't show back up. That's what campus ministers say all across the world. Hey, y'all prove them wrong for me. I'll be shorter next week, I promise, okay? Let me pray for us. Lord, I thank you for your word. I ask you, Lord, man, we bit off a lot tonight. But I ask you, Lord, to help us to understand it's important because, goodness gracious, we can't miss who you are. We can't miss the truth, Lord, that you, are, that you are good and you are a provider. But you are also ruler and you are also just. And Lord, I thank you that you created and blessed this world that we live in. But Lord, we can look around all around us and realize there is sin and wickedness all around us. And Lord, we know that scripture tells us that, that Satan is just roaming around seeking to destroy. So Lord, help us tonight to put our faith and trust in you. Help us tonight to give you praise and honor and glory that you deserve. Help us tonight to not be tossed to and fro by the theories we hear on this campus in so many different ways. But Lord, and not to be scared and afraid of what Genesis says, 
but Lord, to embrace it, recognizing we may not have all the answers, but we know that you do, and we know that you created out of nothing everything that is. And so, Lord, we can trust you. So, Lord, we love you and we praise you. Bless us as we sing one more time tonight. In your name we pray. Amen. Let's stand together and sing. Thanks so much for listening. Be sure to hang around for that special interview with Zach and Tommy. All right, well, hello, everybody. Welcome to this special interview. I am joined here with Tommy. Uh, and man, last night was just amazing. You know, everything we've done for Welcome Week moving up to this point, all of the events uh, all culminated to this giant gathering last night. And man, what a good time. I want to know your thoughts. What did you feel? How did, how did the night go? Yeah, I'll tell you. Um, you know, we were expecting to have a, a big crowd of, of students come in, but uh, almost was a little overwhelming at first. The room was just completely full, uh, pretty much no chairs empty, and uh, it just was an exciting night. There was a lot of energy in the room. Uh, the band really set the stage early mm. on as far as sort of bringing us to the, to the throne room of God in, yeah. in that sense. And yeah, it was it was an unbelievable night. I, I'll tell you, I I feel like we bit off uh, a lot uh, to cover. <laughs> right. Um, that that was probably the longest sermon I've ever preached in my life. Mm. Um, but uh, I also felt like we needed to do that to to really get started in this study on Genesis. Right. Now, speaking of that sermon, is there anything that maybe you didn't get a chance to talk about last night? Because obviously there were time constraints around the service. Yeah. <laughs> didn't want to keep people too long. Uh, was there anything that you know you have an opportunity now, just the next day, to did you want to go back and talk about? You know, yeah, I guess the dinosaurs, right? Like that's the <laughs> question everybody'd have, right? Uh, no, you know, we, I tried to pack as much in as I could early on. I was pretty happy with the sense that that we really were able to go ahead and set some parameters early. Mm. Um, and 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 make sure that, that people understood that when we looked at creation, we wanted to look at what we know, mm. right? And um, that that's hard sometimes because uh, we all get taught certain things from our childhood, uh, the Sunday school classes we're in, et cetera. Mm. And, um, and so early on, you know, I wish I'd had a little more time to unpack some of those theories early on. Right. Uh, hopefully I, I didn't shoot over everybody's head with some of those. Uh, you start talking about gap theory and day age theory and, and flood theory and all those kind of things. Um, but, but yeah, I, I, I would say, you know, maybe if I had to do it all over again, I maybe do that in two parts and, and, and spend a little more time and energy there. But at the same time, I wanted the focus to be last night on what creation told us about God. Right. Well, there's certainly so much you can go into when it comes to, even the, the first few words of Genesis. Um, so I guess looking at that and you're looking ahead to this semester, the content that we're going to go through in our gathering series is, you know, like you said, it, it has the potential to be very different than what our Sunday school teachers taught us, what our parents might have taught us, certainly what education has taught us up until this point. So for somebody who comes in and they are uh, kind of, put face to face with what we're saying and that doesn't if that doesn't line up with their worldview how do they wrestle with that yeah I think anytime you're wrestling with a worldview question you go back to scripture right I think you go back to scripture and and the, the truth is is that people could be rocked quote unquote in a couple of ways for some folks they're going to walk in and, and they're going to you know they're going to be believers and they're going to look at what we're talking about and they may walk in and go, oh, yeah, well, creation is 
very clearly, you know, six days and a day of rest. Mm. And so for me to even mention other ideas might might kind of be tough. Right. Uh, on the flip side of that, you also may have somebody come in that says, man, this Tommy guy leans a little too much younger. <laughs> uh, and uh, and then, or why won't he, you know, because there's things, I'm telling you, there's things with creation where it's like you just have to accept the fact that you don't really know. Mm. Right? What we do know is that God created. Like, we do know that. We know God created we know he created from nothing. Um, we know that ultimately he had a plan in his creation and a purpose in his creation. That's what we want people to walk away with. And so for those that walk in and are not believers who maybe have never interacted with the creation story or, or maybe just always took it as myth, uh, for that in individual, my prayer would be is that, that, A, they do begin to pray about it, right, in their own heart and their own their life. But, B, hey, go back to the source, Go back to the source. And as I mentioned last night, don't, don't come in with the mindset that our faith and science contradict, mm -hmm. but instead come in with the mindset and the understanding that where we see creation is where we see our faith and science actually intersecting. And if you do that and you stay with the source and you stay with what God's Word says and you understand that there are some things that are non-negotiables and there are other things that we can have some difference of opinions on, I think you'll leave it okay. Good stuff. Well, looking ahead to the fall, um, there's a ton of exciting things coming up. Uh, right off the bat, we have the start launch of our dog packs, and we have Confluence with the GBMB, followed by Run for Christ later in October. Um, what would you say you are most excited for, you're most looking forward to for this upcoming season? Look, this time of year is so exciting. Uh, you get to meet so many new students, uh, freshmen, transfers. Um, I mean, you know, the staff is, is spending all day today and tomorrow texting, you know, those who said last night was their first time with us, and that's exciting. And so, I mean, we do have a lot of events and all that, but, but one of the things I really am most looking forward to is just connecting with some new students, getting to sit down over a cup of coffee or over a meal with them and just, just hear their story hear where they're at in their walk with Christ. Uh, hear, do they, do they have a, a walk with Christ? Do they know Christ as their Lord and Savior? And, and just to be able to share with them who we are as a ministry, what we do, um, and ultimately the, the God whom we serve. And, and so I, I'm, I'm excited about that. Uh, from an event standpoint, uh, we do have a lot that's coming up. There's no question about it. Um, I, I want to be careful not to, to have a student hear this and think, oh, Tommy's got a favorite, you know. Um, <laughs> but, you know, we've got Confluence and Send Me Now coming up. When I was serving in the local church, one of my responsibilities was missions. And so there is a big passion that I have uh, for missions. And so uh, I'm looking forward to that weekend of Confluence toward the end of September mm. uh, because the focus is going to be on missions mobilization. And I'm looking forward to seeing how many of our students are willing to serve this summer through Send Me Now. And yeah. I know that sounds like the summer, but that starts really soon mm. through the application process. And one thing we're going to ask our students is, is give us one summer. Like, hey, would you give us one summer? Yeah. It's not me personally. It's, it's give the Lord one summer. Take one summer of the time that you're in college and say, hey, I'm going to go wherever you send me. And that's what we're going to ask our students. So I'm really pumped about that. Yeah, it sounds like a could be a very, very powerful time in the lives of our students. Um, as we're getting towards the end of this, do you have any closing thoughts, any Anything you'd like to say? You know, I think I told our our students that were here last night that this is this is not a study where you leave your intellect at the door, right? Mm -hmm. Like this is 
this is not where we're just going to walk in as we look at Genesis and just repeat, um, you know, the, the Bible book stories that you, your mom and dad read to you when you were a kid before you went to bed at night. Um, there's no question that those stories are, are true, right? So we're not negating the truth of what you learned right. when you were a kid. But instead, we're confirming that truth. But what we're doing is we're taking a deeper dive. And in taking a deeper dive, um, you're going to have to think about some things mm. and, uh, and, and realize if you get nothing else out of this, realize that every single thing we do this semester in the book of Genesis um, is really the foundation of our faith as believers and points us to Christ. Yeah. And that's what this is about. It's really about by looking at Genesis, how can that point us to Christ? And then ultimately, you know, how can we point others to Christ? Yeah. Absolutely. Well, Tommy, thank you so much for your time. Listeners, thank you for hanging out with us through this kind of, um, I guess, fifth quarter of sorts on this podcast. Thank you for listening. We will see you next week. If you want to learn more information about the UGABCM, check us out on Instagram at UGABCM, as well as online at UGABCM.org. And of course, if you're in the Athens area, come check us out Monday nights at 8 o'clock at 450 South Lumpkin Street. We'll see y'all next week. Three, two, one.